So, any questions? I have a, a sort of question. Something I was wondering about that I didn't really understood when I was reading Madhurya uh, Kadambini on the way here. It's, it speaks about how uh, Bhakti springs up with his leaves. And it describes the leaves of, as on the outside it's Vaidhi Bhakti and on the inside it's Rag Bhakti. And that, you know, I found a bit confused, confusion because, you know, as, as I've understood, even in, to get to Rag Bhakti you, you, you need to have rules so there isn't Vaidhi. But, like, how do we understand that they both spring up at the same time, sort of? Mm -hmm. Vaidhi Bhakti and Rag Bhakti are two independent paths. They're not the same path. Vaidhi Bhakti means that the inspiration for traversing the path is based on the statements of the scripture with regard to what will happen if you don't and what will happen if you do. And the goal of that kind of bhakti is reverential love. And the corresponding, if you will, destination is bhaikuntha. In Bhadi Bhakti, there is a predominance of the idea of devotional mukti, salvation. And it's possible that you may not be perfect, die and go to Vaikuntha. You can't go there with material desires, but the difference, nonetheless, is that you can perfect yourself sufficiently in this life to gain entrance into, in, in a human life to gain entrance to Vaikuntha through Bhakti. Rag Bhakti, on the other hand, the impetus for it, the inspiration for it, is attraction for Krishna, not Vishnu, not any of the Vishnu avatars, and uh, not really Krishna anywhere other than Krishna in Vrindavan, in Braj. And the attraction is to follow in the footsteps of one of the types of devotees, idealized devotees, who are his um, associates in Vrindavan, like Krishna's friends, parents, the gopis, and so forth. To hear about the kind of love that they have and be attracted to that, they want to pursue that. That's the motivation, and, it, and, it, and to achieve that is, is the goal. And in order to attain that, one cannot, in this life or any human life, contain within their sadhaka deha the measure, if you will, of the prem. And so one reaches a certain point, we'll have to leave the world and enter the Krishna Leela in this world, in a spiritual body like a gopo or a gopi. And then when that Leela winds up and goes to, becomes unmanifest, then you will go with Krishna's eternal associates. So those are some of the basic differences. And in Rag Bhakti, there's a prominence at some point
in bhava of cultivating the, that, that spiritual body internally. So there are two distinct paths. At the same time, one can have the ideal of Brajbhakti, or I should say one who does have the ideal of Brajbhakti. It doesn't mean that they don't follow the bhakti sadhana. It's not that rag bhakti is a path that follows no rules or regulations. It's not like that at all. One accepts all the things that are favorable for, for the path. Certain angas of bhakti may not be favorable for that particular type of love. Just a few things, and so one doesn't follow those. But to support one's aspiration to be to follow in the footsteps of an associate of Krishna and Vrindavan, one engages in hearing, chanting, remembering, and following all the guidelines of bhakti, rules of bhakti. So there are two distinct paths. At the same time, one may have a, an ambition to attain Braj Bhakti through the path of Rag, but not have a a taste for that. And their Bhakti is sometimes then referred to as Ajataruchi Raganuga Bhakti or Raganuga Bhakti, which means Anuga, following the Rag path without any real taste for the ideal. But because you've intellectually understood the ideal or you've been introduced to the ideal by a rag bhakta, rag sampradaya, you have faith in it and your faith is colored a little bit by that aspiration. We call shraddhamayi lobha or lobhamayi shraddha. Mai means full, so faith, full of faith that's shaded by little lobha. Lobha means that kind of audacity of aspiration to have that kind of uh, intimacy with Krishna. Sometimes it's translated as greed or, or eagerness. But that's a very kind of a generous interpretation of loba. Really, loba means greed for Krishna Bhakti, and it would be perhaps negatively characterized by a lack of greed for anything else, or interest in anything else. So, sometimes the path of Rag Bhakti may be taken cheaply and misunderstood. And so this kind of interim term is there. Ajatarati means without bhava, or Ajataruchi without taste, following the rag path. And basically, in that scenario, we're following a rag bhakta, or a rag sampradaya. So it is our ideal. We have some aspiration for that. It's very limited. And still, and our bhakti still may be motivated to one extent or another by scriptural injunctions and so forth. So we're kind of in a unique position then. We want Rag Bhakti, but uh, it's mixed a little bit with Vaidhi Bhakti. So, we still call it Rag Bhakti or Ajataruchi Rag Bhakti, but sometimes it's also called Vaidhi Bhakti, and that's what it's meant when it's called Vaidhi Bhakti. Although, technically speaking, Vaidhi Bhakti is one path, 
Rag Bhakti is another path. There is a place where the two come together to an extent. There may be also Rag Bhakti that's mixed with Vaidhi Bhakti, like to become an associate of Krishna in Dwaraka. May be characterized as a mixture of the two. To go to Braj is a pure Rag Bhakti, but Jiva Goswami has explained that without taste one may pursue the path by following a Rag Bhakta and adopting as much as is possible or realistic the um, practices of Rag Bhakti. So one of the practices of Rag Bhakti, for example, is the internal meditation on one's identity in the Leela as it's revealed. Before it's revealed, it's difficult to do that, isn't it? So, and it's revealed through practice, through the grace of the Guru and so forth. So still there's a place for such people to be called Rag Bhaktas. But they're only Rag Bhaktas in terms of their intent. And that is really the primary difference between the two paths. One is an intent is towards reverential love. The other is an intent is to attain love and intimacy. So Vishwana Chakrabhati Thakur is talking about them in as terms of two distinct paths, one leading to the other. But if, I think, um, excuse me, somewhere there in the book also, oh no, this, you're talking about Madhuri Kadambini? Yeah. In that book he just talks about them in the beginning as two distinct paths. And and they are, but then again, there's that's the black and that's the white, and then there's the gray in between, something like that. Does that help? And, you know, you can look at it like, what does he say, that the outer leaf is the Vaidhi Bhakti, the inner leaf is Rag Bhakti. So it may also be looked at that outwardly one will conduct oneself as a Vaidhi Bhakta and inwardly as a Rag Bhakta. That is also the case. He sets a standard or she sets a standard for others. Or, as I say, in the budding stages of actual Rag Bhakti, then Rupa Goswami says in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that one should not give up the Vaidhi Bhakti of hearing and chanting and so forth because that will help to support it. Now the hearing and chanting may be refined to be centered around a particular ideal as it becomes more specific, a particular ideal of loving Krishna. So anyway, in that case, it could be seen that oh, the outer is is rag is vaidhi and the inner is rag bhakti. So our deal should be rag bhakti. This is rag bhakti. That's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching about love of Krishna and Vrindavan. This should be everyone's ideal. We should promote it in such a way that they become attached to that ideal and aspire for that. And that is most important. You will be what you what you aspire for, basically. So, even though you are maybe incompetent and don't have much of a taste for that, still, uh, that aspiration should be, you should try to cultivate that. That's the primary whole practice of Rag Bhakti. And, and again, it's, it's wrong to think that all rules will be abandoned. No, they follow a codice, they do all kinds of things. Virti They're all angas of bhakti, hearing, chanting. Archan is there. Archan is not as prominent, but then again, we find so many great rag bhaktas had their deities. 
Does that help? Everybody understand? You understand? More or less. Vaidhi means vidhi, means rules. Rag means attachment. Or it means love here. So, to follow out of love, to follow out of rules. So, yeah, you can follow out of rules with an idea to follow out of love. Yes? I don't know if I misunderstood, but could you say that one might uh, then end up in Vaikuntha, like, so, uh, even though one was trying to follow the path of Raga? Mm. Dwarka. So, then will that devotee spend all eternity there? No, no, no. It means that if you have your ideal to become a queen of Krishna in Dwarka, for example, then your path will be Ragbhakti mixed with Vaidhi Bhakti. But whatever your ideal is, then that you'll become. So that's why the ideal is so important. And that ideal should be the, the principal motivation for following. And there's, in other words, Vaidhi Bhakti, in terms of Vaikuntha, is more or less this. One does Bhakti because it's the right thing to do. It's dutiful love. Not I and his God, God should be served. All the jivas are the servants of God, God should be served, it's the right thing to do. Om. And Rag Bhakti is obviously very different than that. The inhabitants of Vrindavan are not serving Krishna because he's God and he should be served, but because they love him. That's all. They also serve, they also do Vaidhi Bhakti in their homes. They worship Narayan, other gods and goddesses too. In the home of Nanda Maharaj, they keep a, 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 a Nishinga Shaligram is being worshipped. They want it, they want it, they picked up a very powerful form of Narayan to worship with a view to that their son would always be protected. So they're doing Bhadi Bhakti in the Leela. They're worshipping gods and goddesses. All the dharmas is there, you see. Bhadi Bhakti is there also. Inside of Rag Bhakti, in a larger sense. So it's not Rag Bhakti, the Vrindavan Bhakti is not a dutiful kind of love. It's love, love, that for love's sake they're doing it. Not because it should be done, but almost it shouldn't be done. You shouldn't give so much attention to your son that you, that you only go to church on Sundays because you're supposed to when it's law or something like that. You shouldn't do but they're doing that. But God has become their son, and they don't know that he's God, and he doesn't know that he's God either. So this is very high ideal. And we'll hear about that, of course, and what to do. You, you like that idea, but at the same time you know that, you know that he is God. And that's why you like it. <laughs> because he's God, but he's like that. And he's so accessible there. It's attractive. <laughs> so therefore it's said that we need to know Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. What does that mean? Do you know? 
Right. Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. Krishna is the source of Narayan. All Vishnu avatars, they issue forth from Krishna. Krishna is where the buck stops, something like that. He's the final, the source. Anadir adir govinda sarvakarana karanam. So that doesn't sound like Rag Bhakti, does it? From what I've been saying, there he's the supreme God, the source of everything. But if one knows that, Krishna says in the Gita, "Aham sarva mata sarvam Everything comes from me. I'm the source of everything. I'm Swam Bhagavan. Then one knows where to repose one's loving propensity, that it can be fully reposed there, because it means also. I'm the I'm the reservoir of all loving reciprocal dealings. And the way in which you love your family, your friends and so forth, your lover, you can love me like that. With that kind of intensity. And have that kind of intimacy with the absolute. Such a thing is possible. So he says, those who know that, then they have in place one half of the equation of love, of, of spiritual practice, for spirit, that, that will enable them to attain that. In other words, if you want to give entirely of yourself in a way that it exceeds beyond the limits of a calculated type of love. A calculated type of love means a dutiful kind of love. Because the calculation is, as I said earlier, I should do it. He's God, I should worship him. There's some calculation there. So, in Vrindavan there's no such calculation. That's why it's sometimes described as spontaneous without thinking about the identity with Bhagwan is so complete that that's why cowherd boys, for example, Krishna Sakas, they may put their their feet on him. Just like if you're close to a friend, then you, you know, you can rest your feet on their lap and they don't say anything and you don't think otherwise. And where you bump into a stranger, you merely go, oh, well, I'm sorry. So in love, there's this extended sense of self. We identify with the other person. So in Vrindavan, the love of Krishna is like that. It's so extended that there's this, this intimacy that they don't see a difference between their own bodies and Krishna's body. So just like you respond to your own body, they're responding to Krishna's body needs and as they appear and so forth. So if we want to attain that, if some idea comes of having intimacy with the Absolute beyond reverence and so forth, then um, we would have to know where to, where we could repose that because Narayan doesn't accept it. So Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Hamsarvasipravavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavav
the enjoying end of such such giving, such loving. So you have to know that. Hmm? You have to know where that is. This is one half of the equation. If you want to, in other words, if you want to, if you have the wild idea of giving yourself to God without any reservation whatsoever, in madness, like a young girl falls in love with a young boy, such that if, if, if even if people tell you why you shouldn't do it with good reason, you don't listen to them, you just run anyway. That's the example, isn't it? That kind of love, then you've got to look around and see, is there anybody that's going to, is there any manifestation of God that's going to accept that kind of love? So, by knowing that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the supreme, he's depicted as the Supreme Enjoyer, who tastes all kinds of love. By knowing that, then we have one half of the equation for realizing that in place. In other words, if you want to give unlimitedly, you have to know who takes unlimitedly. And it's not Narayana in Vaikuntha. It's Krishna. So Krishna uh, reveals that, and, and through this discipline succession, this is explained in some detail and so forth, so we can have, be aware that there is such a center. So knowing that is one half, and the other half of it is then that you start to give, and your giving becomes unqualified. And gradually, because you're giving to that center, that level will become less and less calculated and dutiful. Calculated love means I serve God because God should be served. But that's not how, how Radha is serving Krishna. That's not how Mother Yashoda is serving Krishna. She's serving him, and he shouldn't be served. He should be scolded. Still, she's loving him. <laughs> Almost to the point of uh, embarrassment in the neighborhood. But they all feel the same way as well. So. so we have to know the center. We have to know the receiving end exists. And then we have to begin to give in a way that is, is uh, not calculated. But you can't start like that. There'll be some calculation. There'll be some negative impetus for service and so forth. Things you want to get away from. and uh, But you have to learn to look at those things in the context of what your ideal is. So the ideal has to be in the foreground, first and foremost. I want to, I want to be Krishna's friend. I want to be Krishna's lover. Now, you know, you can't imitate that, and um, that will be inappropriate. You have to think what, what what's required to do that, and how that kind of love can develop. And it's primarily through the mercy of, the, of sadhus, who have that kind of love that rubs off on us. So we want their association, we want to serve them, and so forth. And then in the context of that, we hear about so many things that would be favorable for bhakti, and that kind of bhakti, and we adopt those in our life, and what won't be favorable, we let go of those. Something like that. So it, so the idea is that to know that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God it is, is, is important in the equation of entering the path of Rag Bhakti, and in due course of time it will be forgotten. First, we'll know Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God, so we know here we can repose all of our loving propensity. And as that loving propensity is proposed there and love develops, then we forget that he's God 
and so the intimacy can proceed. But in Vaikuntha, they never forget that Narayan is God. Never. But in Vrindavan, then they, even if it, if he does something that's godly, they think, oh, Narayan has done something through him. He was blessed when he was a child. That Narayan would do wonderful things through him. My respect to Narayan, but meanwhile, they're dealing with Krishna in a very different way. Their kind of love, if Krishna shows some godliness in Vrindavan, their love for him in intimacy is so great that it only serves to increase it. When Krishna was lifting the Govardhan hill, like this, with his little finger, instead of thinking, wow, he's pretty powerful, and he's our friend, wow, we've got a pretty strong friend, and no, the coward boys, they were putting their sticks up there, thinking he can't hold that hill. We better help him out. So ordinary people are seeing it, whoa, you see his opulence and his power and Aishvarya. But, but, but the love of, of his friends and associates in Vrindavan is such that when he makes, when such displays of opulence show themselves, it only increases their love and intimacy. It's like if, if a mother's her son becomes the president, and so he wins the election, and everybody's going, Mr. President, Mr. Prime Minister, congratulations, sir. And she just goes, oh, you're my son. The president is just like an ornament, just a secondary thing. She never changed, she never stops from thinking, he's just my son, I knew him when he was naked. I saw him since, since he couldn't talk. And so the mother always tends to think of her son like that, right? It gets irritating sometimes, or their daughter. You think, Mom, I'm grown up now. Ah, sit down, eat something. So that, something like that. He may have something appear great by another angle of vision, but by their angle of vision, the greatness, the mother's angle of vision, greatness is he's just my son, I love him. He's great. I know. I only knew it all along. <laughs> so what? Finally, people are seeing it my way. <laughs> Something like that. But it doesn't make her stand back and wait for an appointment to see Mr. President or anything like that. She can go in any time. So this is the path that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, showed. Rag Bhakti. Another question? Yes. Uh, very often we are told uh, our goal is to go to Vrindavan, but at the same time, Dominic, like he told me that he read um, that the real devotee, he doesn't care where Krishna will send him, so he doesn't get to from the hell or heaven. So it seems more that it looks um, like a kind of journey, not just to go to one place and stay there. The idea is that you have to understand what is Vrindavan. Every place has a corresponding consciousness. So we want Krishna consciousness. And that Krishna consciousness is that one is ready to do whatever is necessary to please Krishna. And that's Vrindavan. So, one time Krishna asked Narada, he said, I have a headache. So Narada said, uh, what can I do to 
remove your headache, God. He said, well, you bring me the dust from the feet of my devotees, and I put it on my head. So Nard said, uh, okay, I'll look for a devotee, thinking, I'm not going to put the dust from my feet on Krishna's head. So he went around and asked other devotees, and everybody said, Nard, I thought you were a devotee. How can you be asking me that? You're testing me, right? I'm not going to take the dirt from the bottom of my feet and put it on Krishna's head. Krishna is worshipable to me. So Narada went back and made his report to Krishna. He thought that he was going to report, well, all of your devotees are understood your, your test, and they all passed. And Krishna said, no, I've got a headache. And did you go to Vrindavan and ask the gopis? And Narada said, oh, well, no, I didn't go there. I mean, they're not that well-known. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, has made them well-known, but otherwise, hardly anybody in Baikunta knows about them or understands them. So Narada said, I didn't think to go there. Okay, I'll go there. They don't know, have no, they're not like Shastravit. They don't know the scriptures very well or anything like that. But I'll go. So he went and told the gopis that Krishna has a headache. And they said, oh, well, can we, what can we do? He said that he wants the dust from the bottom of your feet to put on his head. So they said, okay, take it. He said, wait, don't you realize what will happen to you if you do that? They said, yeah, we'll go to hell for that. And then he said, well, and so? And they said, well, if, we, if it will please Krishna, then what, what's the problem? So he went back and told Krishna, and in this way Krishna educated Narada about the measure of the devotion of the inhabitants of Vrindavan, what the consciousness that corresponds with that place is. So when we say we want to go to Vrindavan, it means we want that kind of consciousness. We want that kind of prem, that kind of love. And that love is, to aspire for that kind of love is to aspire for absolute selflessness. And it's not limited to a particular location, geographical location. To think that the dom of Krishna is, 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 uh, is, can be calculated or limited to a geographical calculation is considered to be an offense to the dom. And also, if you go to Vrindavan, you're wondering, am I just going to stay in one place the whole time? Or do we get to travel around at all? But what you, what you have to understand is that every place is in Vrindavan. Every place is there. And then much as every place is a, has a corresponding consciousness. Well, consciousness means Krishna consciousness. You can only be conscious of Krishna to one extent or another. Some people are almost un-Krishna conscious, but whatever consciousness they have, it's Krishna that they're conscious of. Just like the sun and shine. All shine comes from the sun, either directly or reflected or through the 
lightning created with by the sun, and you get you get light shine. So all consciousness is Krishna consciousness, just different degrees of that, and all consciousness has a corresponding environment or place. And Vrindavan means that all the consciousness of Krishna is present there. Vaikuntha is is included inside of Vrindavan. In other words, in love that exceeds love and in reverence, love and reverence is contained within that as well. And as I've said earlier, see like these inhabitants of Vrindavan, they're worshiping different demigods. So the whole Dharma's Marg, Karma Marg is there, the path of karma. They're worshiping Vishnu in their homes. They worship Vishnu to the to the home that they hope they will protect Krishna or that that the Sakas think they'll meet with Krishna today. <laughs> the gopis worshiping to get Krishna as their husband. <laughs> worshiping God to get Krishna as their husband. They're worshiping God to protect their son and so forth. So Vaidhi Bhakti is there also. So the whole of Vaikuntha is there. Karma Marg is, re, relates to this world, up to heaven, and so that's all there. That's all included in there. The Gyan, Brahma Gyan, that's all there also. Knowledge of Brahman. So, Vrindavan is that place that uh, all, all, where everything is. It's, um, it's expansive and accommodating by the measure of love and affection. So, we speak about it, and it may sound to the uninformed like, like a little village. And the experience of going there may be like it's a little village too, but small is beautiful. People don't like to leave their little village if it's very friendly. Why go anywhere else? So those are some thoughts. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> Krishna is everywhere. Is there anywhere where Krishna is not? So if you're with Krishna, where is there to go? And still you're moving around from Govardhan to Radhakund to, to this place to that place to Shamakund, back to Vrindavan. Krishna is everywhere. That's the teaching. But he's moving. How can that be? Achintya Veda Veda means he's one and different. He's everywhere and moving from one place to the next. That is Leela, that is the drama, that is his play. And Krishna is the real center, that's a fact. Just like a king. A king has a majestic role, is it not? He comes every day and when he wakes up and he comes out of his palace, doo -doo -doo, they're playing the trumpets and people are assembling, oh king! And then he comes in and he sits on his seat, people come in and recite different prayers, Someone comes in and tells the news of the day, and he's sitting there and going through all this, bored stiff. <laughs> he says, oh God, here we have to go through this again. I'm the king, yes, 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 yes. It all just becomes a ritual, right? It all becomes very dry and boring and formal. Meanwhile, his heart is beating for something else, when he can sit back and relax and be with some people who have some fun, People will make jokes above him, and he'll laugh at him, and he'll laugh with them. This is what he likes. So, Narayan is not, is not the be-all and end-all, the life, the heartbeat of God. That's his official position as God. And by comparison, 
Krishna, which is the real heartbeat of God, he said, this life of Narayan is boring to me. He says it in Chaitanya Charitamrita. I don't get anything out of that, really, personally. <laughs> that doesn't do much for me. The world, they worship me like that, but it doesn't do much for me. I, I want some friends. <laughs> some people I can relax with. I want to walk in the park, you know, and just be with nature and something like that. Intimacy. We see how much, again, this Gaudiya Vaishnava so much appeals to the human heart. We're a sample of the whole thing, in a sense. Look closely at our own human heart and we can understand something about the nature of the Absolute. So Krishna is the real heartbeat of the Absolute. So if you want to get to his heart, this is the path. Get to the heart of God. And if obviously if you can touch that, then that's a very special place. And these are in, in the bhakti school, all the secrets are taught, how to get to the heart of Krishna, which makes it easy, easy path. Then, If you know a secret about somebody, like what if you know about the prime minister's secret love life? Uh-oh. He'll pay you to keep quiet. Something like that. So we know something about the secret life, love life of, of God, and we're telling it everywhere. So he's going he's gonna to try to silence us at some point and bring us back to his secret abode. <laughs> we are telling things that are embarrassing to Krishna. You know about that? Oh, goodness. You'll disturb all the yogis if you tell them that. Oh, Vaikuntha will, will evacuate if you tell them that about me. In Vrindavan, Krishna is controlled by Radha's love. How can they tolerate that idea in Vaikuntha? Lakshmi is the obedient wife of Narayana. So these are secrets, you see, not to be told to everyone. And the fact that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is telling it everywhere in the world is, this is uh, maddening to Krishna. So those people that are really talking about that if they become successful in convincing others too much, then he wants to take them back, silence them. But it's too late, it's going on. It's perpetuating. That's for it. why, religiously speaking, from the Hindu perspective, this is very revolutionary. And if you look at it cross-culturally to other religions, it's also a very revolutionary idea. There's nothing that really compares to this in other religious traditions such an idea. And the, their ideas is largely included within that. Very extraordinary news that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu come to give to the world about the secret private love life of God. That is the Rog, Rog Marg. Another question? Yes. Reading the and then I, I was asking about Chaitanya, and now I would like to ask about Nityananda. How, how is, like, there is told that if we don't understand or appreciate Nityananda's form, it's also like one, how you say, stone, stepping stone or something like you can fall. But if, so. 
Nityananda Prabhu's is maybe a little difficult for people to understand, especially at the time, because he was rather mad. <laughs> so people could misunderstand him. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was very careful to educate his followers not to misunderstand Nityananda Prabhu because that would be a great mistake. He was mad f with love for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And um, just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Krishna, Nityananda Prabhu was Balaram, his brother. And we can learn almost everything about service from Balaram. He's the origin of the serving ego. He's God with the serving ego. Krishna is God with the enjoying ego. So the He's the source of the serving ego in all of us, this Balaram. And so, very important, therefore, to understand appropriately. But because he acted in an unorthodox way, often, due to his madness, he might show up in a social gathering of devotees naked, acting like a young, young cowherd boy. People would think, this guy is a little bit, you know, over the top. <laughs> What's wrong with him? Something like that. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was very careful to caution his devotees. Don't think like that. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami has dedicated one whole chapter to Nityananda Tattva. And the verses that he has penned there, describing the position of Nityananda Prabhu, all describes his ontological position as the source of the Vishnus in the world, all this Aishvarya, opulence and power and so forth, that people won't misunderstand him as the Leela proceeds, as he proceeds then to describe the Leela, and Nityananda conducts himself in, in the ways that he does. So, that's the idea. He's very important, so he should be properly understood. He's kind of the foundational Sometimes in, we, we look at Nityananda Prabhu as the source of the Guru Tattva, which is, again, Guru is like, worshipable like a god, kind of, but he's teaching how to serve God at the same time. Same idea, right? So he's often seen as a manifestation of Nityananda Prabhu. And um, so when we speak about Nityananda Prabhu and being careful to understand him, it's the same idea. We should understand the Guru through some philosophical eye, and by listening very carefully to what he says. Otherwise, you know, he also gets tired, he eats, he sleeps, he walks around like us, and he's just like one of us. Why should I listen to him? Why, why is he special? But if we, if we view him with our ear, having heard what he has to say, then we think, oh, it's a little, he's a little different there. He's carrying some, the weight of, of knowledge, and that's heavy, that should be regarded this is the same idea about Nityananda Prabhu, something like that. Does that help? So it's not hard for us to have respect for Nityananda Prabhu because we're hearing about him in the context of the scripture and all. But at the time that these books were written, he, he was there and acting in the ways that he did in society. And that whole teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, was, as I'm explaining here, it was very revolutionary to begin with. I mean, he's got this guy with him who's like, you know, questionable. It appears in his character. He would hang out with low-class people and so forth to, to lift them up. 
So he, he, he was, people were told, don't think he's a low-class person. He's there only to, to lift them up. That is his kindness. He's the alter ego of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You see, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu reasoned that if he became a sannyasi, then people would respect him, and then they would listen to him. So he took up sannyas. But there are restrictions within the sannyas order also. One can't just go anywhere and everywhere. Otherwise, people will think, what kind of sannyasi is that? He's going to the bar. But there are people at the bar. They need to be delivered. This was his thinking. So he commissioned Nityananda Prabhu to go to the bars. And and he was not a sannyasi, so he could go anywhere. He went and fell at the he knocked on the door and fell at people's feet. Touched their feet and asked them, please worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The dignity of the sannyasa ashram that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had embraced would be compromised by that kind of activity. So, but nonetheless, the activities of Nityananda Prabhu might not attach the attention of some more so-called sophisticated, educated people. So both are there. To get the higher rung of society, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is preaching to Prakashananda, to Sarvabhoma, to Venkata, and so forth powerful, influential people. And Nityananda Prabhu was commissioned to go to Bengal and deliver all the, all the other people. And it's, it's, it's said, there's a comment saying, if you find Nityananda Prabhu in a brothel, in a bar, with a working class woman, which means, well, a working lady, <laughs> then don't think that he's there for any reason other than to deliver her. So these two show the two ends of the spectrum of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's outreach to the upper rung of society and to the downtrodden section of the society, both. It's all-encompassing. Even it said Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would give love of Krishna to anyone who asked, and Nityananda Prabhu would give to the people who refused it. He would go after them. So this way he should be understood. Another question? Yes. Um, earlier today, uh, we were speaking about, with Prasanya and others, we were speaking about, uh, talking about um, the screams of Krishna. The screams of Krishna? Yes. Dreams. Uh, autumn, I've been having, having dreams of Krishna, lately dreams of coming to, uh, to the monastery as a visitor. And uh, they told me, uh, that you have already spoken spoken about this subject at, at some time about having having dreams of dreams dreams, dreams of God in general and, but I wanted to ask you myself about the meaning of this they have all, all been sort of calm serene dreams that have uh, woken, where, where I have woken up from with this warm feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's very good if we have dreams about Krishna or dreams about going to the monastery and so forth. We consider ourselves blessed that even in our sleep that Krishna is coming after us. And it's usually some indication of the fact that in our waking state we have some preoccupation with that, which is what we want, right? We want to be preoccupied with that. So um, there may be general dreams like that. Guru may come in the dreams and the monastery and 
Krishna and so forth. That's all very auspicious. We consider ourselves blessed. At the same time, the level of the clarity of the dreams may not be great. They may be just general. And there's another class of dream where where the dreaming is not based on our preoccupation in the waking state that causes it, but a, a direct intervention on the part of Krishna, the guru, to come and tell us something. These are very special kind of dreams. The, the, the word is translated dreams, but it, it, it means something else. In the scriptures, we hear about these kind of things. So that may happen, and when that happens, that's, that's a, a little bit of a different category. Otherwise, the other dreams should just be interpreted in a general way. And, you know, we could have a dream also that our guru came and told us something, and we should ask him, is that what you want me to do? Because it might have just been more of a dream than I had a dream, and the guru wanted me to, you know, do something crazy. So then you just don't go run off and do that. You better ask the guru first if, if that was just your dream or what. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a mixture. But there, that, but Krishna or can appear in a powerful way in a dream to communicate. In fact, people have been initiated in dreams. It's possible, given mantras and dreams, and and they work. Those are special kind of dreams. But in general, if we dream about Krishna, we think oh, we had a blessed sleep. That's very good. If we dream, we should come to the monastery and participate. Then. That's that's a good dream. That's true. <laughs> Definitely. So that's the other thing is that to differentiate imagination from reality with regard to dreams, for example, then we have a whole teaching. So if the dream doesn't correspond with the teaching, if the dream Krishna comes and says, I think you should commit suicide today. Then you think, well, I'm not sure who that was. That doesn't correspond with what Krishna teaches. So that that was just my mad mind, you know. And Krishna's on it in some way, and and so forth. So that we have to we have to determine what is reality by checking our inspirations, our dreams, our aspirations, our thoughts with what the actual teaching is, and see if there's some correspondence. And we always have for the most part, a guru or senior Vaishnava to ask and get some clarity and so forth. What else? Another question? Yes. What kind of relationship has Arjuna with Krishna? Arjuna's French relationship is friendship. Sakya. Sakya. Mixed with Dasya. And it's... Uh, it's... Uh, like friendship in the city and that means that his friendship with Krishna is like if you grow up in a village and you have close friends and then you go off to school in this big city and you meet some people and you have friendship with them but it's not as intimate as your friends at home that kind of friendship he has. It's a little different than the friendship that he has in Vrindavan. In Vrindavan, the friendship is more in, more intense and more intimate. Arjuna, Draupadi, 
wife of the Pandavas, there in this Sakyarasa from the, uh, it's called Puri Sambandi. Puri means city, Sambandi means like that. They're, they're city friends of Krishna. And in Vrindavan, then you have friends like Subal, Sridham, others have some of that too, like Brindadevi, some friendship with Krishna. She's also gopi, but. Dominique, uh, he uh, read in Mahaparata, some of Mahaparata he told that he read that, uh, that Arjuna had uh, previously he had a relationship with Narayan. Narayan? Narayana. Yeah, Narayana. Sometimes this is considered to be an incarnation of Narayan and Krishna. In, uh, in in Ryan and Arjun, in 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 Rishi form, in the, in the appearance of Rishis or sages, it's a particular incarnation of Krishna. And Arjun comes, and they're both sages. So, so Arjun is a parshat of Krishna. So he may appear in different leelas when Krishna appears in different avatars, just like Hanuman an associate of Ram, Parshat of Ram, but he appeared in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela also as Murari Gupta. So these associates of Krishna, we follow him in different Leelas. And when he has a different mood, they're there, they attend and serve him accordingly. It's like you have Vrindavan, Krishna, and his associates, Krishna goes to Dwarka. A manifestation of Krishna goes to Dwarka, and in that setting, he's more godly. His associates expand and go with him, and they play different roles there. Radharani expands, she goes there, she's Rukmini, or excuse me, Satyabhama. Chandravali goes, she becomes Rukmini. Sridham, who Krishna has to carry on his shoulders because he defeats him in wrestling, becomes Garuda, and he is the bird carrier for Krishna. So they have <laughs> all these Krishnas. So everything is there in Vrindavan, again, as I said. It's already there. And then these are lesser manifestations, and all his eternal associates have some, some roles there. All right, so very nice to speak with all of you for the week, and some of you, who will be going to Poland? You'll be going to Poland for a few days? And I uh, invite you to come to visit me, California or in Costa Rica. And um, I guess I'll be here again next year, huh? That's the plan, okay. Go with Premanandi.